welcome to the podcast today. Today we're going to be having a look at the story Lemon Orchard by Alex Laguma. Um, this story is from the Stories of Ourselves anthologies um, that you'll be using in your English Literature IGCSE exam this year. Um, so we'll do a little bit of context to begin with. We'll learn a little bit about the author, what the, what the story is about, have a look at the themes and then look at those themes in detail. If you haven't already read the story, if you don't understand it, you need to go away and do that now so that you're aware of the plot before we begin. So The Lemon Orchard was written by Alex Laguma in 1962. So Alex Laguma is South African. He was born to a mixed race family in Cape Town and he was incredibly political and harassed by the South African government to the extent that he moved to England in 1966. Now, a lot of his work, a lot of his short stories explore themes surrounding apartheid and segregation, um, human rights and separatist policies. If you're unaware of the political um, and social climate of South Africa in the 1960s, I would really suggest you go away and you do some research around that because it will really help to deepen your understanding of the background and um, of Laguma's motivations to write The Lemon Orchard. So just in terms of a bit of a summary, The Lemon Orchard is about a black man who's been captured by four white men and he's guided through a lemon orchard to receive a beating. Um, why? Well, his crime was that he'd had an argument with local church minister, was beaten and then demanded compensation because of this. In terms of the themes of the story, we are going to be looking at light and dark. We're going to be looking at nature versus the unnatural. We're looking at power and segregation and discrimination. So first of all, let's have a look at the structure here of The Lemon Orchard. It's written as a third person narrative and it's incredibly reliant on dialogue between the characters um, within the story. Let's have a think then about the third person narrative. What does that tell us? Um, so somebody is watching the scene take place. They're watching, but they're not intervening. They're standing back. They're a witness. They're an audience to what's happening. What do you think Laguma's message could be here? I think you need to make links, really clear links, in terms of the social um, and the historical and the political climate. Um, what did many people do when they saw violence take place? What did many people do when they saw injustice, when they saw segregation? Did they act or did they act like our narrator here? and stand back and simply watch. It's an interesting thing to have a think about. So the next thing that I want to have a look at is the language that's used within the story. There are very many Afrikaans words used within the story to show that this is very specific to South Africa. There's derogatory terminology used without, um, and I'm not going to try and either pronounce 
the Afrikaans words because I will do them in injustice. But what we do have, and we'll follow this podcast, is a short podcast by Mrs. Devette, who has been absolutely wonderful and has um, not only provided audio files with the words being pronounced properly, but um, with um, definitions and meanings behind those words too. So that will be uploaded shortly after this. In terms of having a look at the language as well, um, you need to, when you're reading this story, look at the balance of, of the dialogue. Who speaks more? What is that representative of? When the black man did decide to speak and speak out about something that he obviously disagreed with, what happened there? So we need to be very, very sure of what this language represents. Okay, so now we're going to move on to having a look at the, the theme of nature and the unnatural. You're definitely going to need your highlighters and pens at this point because we're going to be looking at several quotations throughout the story that are really quite important. So if we start in this first sentence, the men came down between two long regular rows of trees. Um, the trees, two regular rows, they're exactly the same, but they never meet. Okay, so exactly the same trees on both sides, but they never meet, they never join. What can you relate that to? Again, in terms of looking at social and political context at the time. Again, kind of within, within, within the same thought here, if we look at how the clouds are described, um, long, high parallels of cloud which hung like suspended streamers of dirty cotton wool. If lines are parallel, again, they never meet, they never join. Again, what's that representative of in terms of society in South Africa in 1962? Something as well here, the moon was hidden behind the clouds. So not only is it nighttime, but it's incredibly dark. And there's that, that phrase, isn't there, about what happens underneath the cloak of darkness. Even the moon isn't willing to shine a light on what is happening. I think throughout the story, Laguma uses nature to show that what the men are doing is completely and utterly unnatural. And that even nature doesn't agree. It goes against its normal, its normal ways in order to kind of show um, how much it disagrees with what the men are doing. Something that I find, and I love this quotation, the shoes of the men sank into the soil and left exact rigid footprints, but they could not be seen in the dark. So their journey, what they're doing, can't currently be seen, but the land remembers. Their footprints are still there. There is a memory. There is evidence of what they've done. Even though other men and society might cast up, you know, take a bit of a blind eye to what they're doing, and it's, it's considered normal. Um, nature doesn't agree, and nature will remember. The land will remember. It won't be forgotten. So it's not just the land, and it's not just what's going on in the sky, but we can have a look at the animal life as well as we move further down. The crickets had stopped their noises. And a dog started barking in short high yaps and stopped abruptly. I don't know if any of you have got animals at home, but you can, you know, like animals almost seem to 
um, sense when something bad is about to happen or something isn't quite right. And it seems that the animals, the wild animals, are, are experiencing this here too. And for some of the crickets that did not feel the presence of the men continued the monotonous creak, creak, creak. So those that aren't affected continue to go around their business, but the ones that are nearby, the ones that can feel the effect of what the men are doing, do obviously react. Moving further then through the story, quite a way through, I'll let you find this. It's the, um, the way that the leader is described. Now, his face is described once we see it because obviously there's not an awful lot of light at the moment and we'll come on to light and dark later on but when we do get this glimpse of his face it's described as the red clay complexion of his face like the myriad lines which indicate rivers streams roads and railways on a map they wound around the ridges of his chin and climbed the sharp range of his nose and the peaks of his chin and his cheekbones and his eyes were hard and blue like two frozen lakes. So there's a few things that we need to discuss about this quotation, which I think is great because this is going to give you your alternative interpretations of a quotation here. So the first thing that we learn, if the red clay complexion of his face and it's wrinkled and there's lots of lines, he's not had an easy life as this leader. I think we can make the inference here that he has obviously led an outdoor life. His job may be quite manual. Um, that's you know, so his face has been his face has been weathered, and then we do find out later on in the next paragraph that he says he lives off our sweat, which again infers manual labour. The fact that his eyes are hard and blue like two frozen lakes can infer, can imply that he's quite a cold and ruthless person and he's willing to do whatever he wants to do in order to preserve what he feels is, is right and to take revenge on somebody he feels has done something wrong to him and his community. Towards right towards the end of the story the dog starts barking again. And we hear, it's that Yagter, the man with the lantern said. I wonder what bothers him. He's a good watchdog. I would like to have a dog like that. I would take great care of such a dog. So, what does this imply? How do the men feel about the dog compared to the man that they're about to beat? Whose life is worth more? Which, which life matters more to the men that are about to do this beating? I think it's pretty obvious um, that they would take great care of such a dog, but a fellow human being doesn't matter. Right towards the end of the story then, the blackness of the night crouched over the orchard. We've got the personification there of, of the night time and the leaves rustled with a harsh whispering that was inconsistent with the pleasant scent of lemons. So the harsh whispering, again, the personification of nature here as a living and breathing thing, something that has opinions and, and feelings. The harsh whispering 
when you hear harsh whispering, it's, it's somebody disagreeing, not, not liking what's going, not, not liking what's happening. The chill in the air had increased. It's almost like all the elements are coming together against the men. Blended into solid strips of high-pitched sound. This clamouring, this noise, again right towards the end of the story here. Our senses are, are being battered from every angle. We have got the sense of feeling, we've got the sound, we've got the smell. Uh, one thing that we can't do though at the moment is see. So it's all our other senses that are being bombarded, but we've lost the sight until the moon came from behind the banks of cloud and its white light touched the leaves with wet silver. The moon is now going to literally shine a light on what the men are doing. The men come into a wide gap in the orchard. Even nature is forcing what is happening out into the open. A small amphitheatre surrounded by fragrant growth. When we think of the word amphitheatre as well, it implies the Romans and Colosseums and something that is about to take place, violence that's about to take place, for entertainment. But what it does show me is that nature is watching and nature will not forget. Okay, the next theme that we're going to look at is light and dark. Obviously, the story is set at nighttime, and when things, when bad things happen, bad things generally happen at nighttime. Why? Because things are hidden, things aren't easily seen, and you you can get away with more. Your senses are, you know, bamboozled slightly by it as well. Um, there is one small light. And it's very interesting to see who has control of that small light. And what that one small light does is it allows the four men that have control of it to shine a light on what they want to shine a light on, literally, as well as figuratively, at the time that they choose. So when they want to see what they're doing, they do, but they're very quick at towards the end of the story to put their own light away so that they're only being lit by the light of the moon. We discussed as well before in the nature segment that to begin with, the moon is hidden. Even nature doesn't want to be a part of this. But then towards the end and at the end of the story, the moon comes back from behind the banks of cloud and it's white light. Interesting as well that it's white light because what do we think of in terms of connotations of the colour white? That it's white light shines down on what the men are doing. So we're thinking about this light and dark and all the connotations that it can have in terms of good and evil and right and wrong and we need to be able to apply that to the characters and the context of the story. that I think is a very worthwhile task for you to do. So this is something that you can get pad and paper if you want to do it on, on your laptops, that's, that's up to you. 
um, is we need to have a look at the differences, the very clear differences between between the men in the story. And I think it's worthwhile actually creating a table of those differences. So obviously we've got some of the, the, the obvious differences, the, the four men, there's four against one, so that's one difference. The four men, they're white, the one man on his own is black. The white men are clothed and dressed appropriately, whereas the black man is in his pyjamas. Yes, he's been allowed to have a coat thrown over his shoulders, but he's still in his pyjamas. The white men are armed, whereas the black man is unarmed. We've already discussed as well that the, the in terms of the jobs that the white men have compared to the job that the black man has. So if I what I what I would like you to do is to very carefully, line by line, going through the story and creating that table of this these are the differences between between the two men. Why is Laguma then showing such stark contrasts between the men? That's something that that we, that we need that we need to be exploring in terms of the effect that that has on the reader. How does it make you feel? Because he's so explicit about these differences, you know, there's not just a couple of differences. They're 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 worlds apart, really. Even though they're standing next to each other, what kind of reaction do you think Laguma is trying to incite within the reader? just as a little bit of a recap of the story as we draw to the close of this podcast and I hope it's been useful for you. Let's just run through the main literary devices and techniques that Laguma has employed within this story. We've got the personification of nature and the pathetic fallacy um, that, that accompanies this. The strong use of dialogue throughout the story to show the balance or imbalance of power between the different races. Strong use of imagery throughout as well and the incorporation of those five senses which means means for us as the reader that the story it, it doesn't just affect our eyes and our thinking but it encompasses the entirety of us, that we are consumed by this, that we are, are dropped right into the middle of it and almost know that we can't escape because any time that we try and turn away, even if we wanted to as an audience, we don't find this story comfortable. It's an incredibly uncomfortable read. And just as we are there with that third person narrative where the narrator is standing back and doing nothing, as a reader, we are standing we're watching, we're doing nothing. Now, if we were there, would we have intervened? Would we have done something different? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. And in fact, maybe it's a question that Laguma is asking you. If you were there, what would you do? And it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. This is not meant to be a nice story. At the end of the story, you're meant to feel that it's that it was something that you were you, you didn't want to experience but it's meant to challenge you and ask you those questions. As we know, in terms of Laguma, his, his, his writing explores those themes surrounding apartheid. It explores human rights. And I think it also is making us explore our own moral compass and asking us, what would you do?